Good evening and welcome to Channel 17 Town Meeting Television for our continuing coverage of General Election 2018. This evening we have Gino Sullivan with us. She is running unopposed in District 6? Two. Two. District 6-2, and that is in Burlington's New North End. Welcome, Jean. So great to see you. Thank you. New and Old North End. I have the best district, That's right. I believe, in the state. I go, I have a full spectrum economically. I have, I go from the Old North End to the New North End. I go all the way down to the waterfront with all of the various different condos, which I find are hilarious, you know, between the, the metal condos, Harry's condos and Barry Mossman's with the faux French chateaus. So it's all great. It's a wonderful district. And you have been serving for four and a half terms? Yes, I have. So why are you running for re-election? Well, I have, of course, a plan. I am ranking member on House Commerce. And we have done, for the past four years, a lot of work on tech ed. 3,000, actually this is a Frank Coffee number, 3,000 young people graduate from our 86% graduation rate with no job skills, no pathway to a middle class job, no idea what a middle class job is. When the Retail Association came to our committee and said we need workforce ready people, and I said, for the record, define that, and they said able to add and subtract and show up for work. That's terrifying. Now let's segue to, we also have in the state, Champlain College and Norwich, which are two of the five top ranking in the world cybersecurity educational facilities in the world. We have tech in this state that is amazing. We, have, we are brilliant in this state of starting small businesses. We are, our challenge is going from small to, to actually sizing up. That's where we really need to work with our small business community. But what I know is, is that I've been in for four years, that's 12,000 young people who've graduated with no job skills. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that tech ed, when we say career technical education, we're talking about Burlington Tech, Essex Tech, and all of that. When you look at the funding mechanism, it costs ascending school money to send a kid to tech. So you got a barrier there. Two, our world is changing. The world of work is changing. The talents you use are changing. One of the things Google figured out years ago was that the people who do automotive tech are brilliant at 3D computer-aided design. So all of these different levels of how we, the, the, the nature of work, the type of jobs we have are changing. And the traditional K through 12, hard you know, line, and then you have, quote, technical education, that when I go into my district and I talk about this, wonderful, well-intentioned people say, I really want to help those kids. Those kids are their kids. Those kids are my kids. My kids went to the Burlington school system. Both of them would have loved applied you know, academics. Both of them would have loved to have something they could put their hands on. I was talking to a graduate from BHS, one of my son's best friends. They're all 40-somethings. And Noah was saying, I loved video uh, um, production. But it was the tech center. And there, there was a stigma to being in the tech center. So we've got to knock all of that down. We've got to look at the European models. We've got to give, we've been doing a lot of work in our committee for the past four years on looking hard at what are the certification programs that are, world, that are recognized. There is a construction uh, certification you can get post uh, 
high school or in high school that is recognized in all of the construction industry. So then you know that if I am a construction company and I'm hiring that person, they've got that certificate, they've got certain skill sets on board. Jillian, from whose last name escapes me, but she's brilliant, in Burlington at CETO is doing this and training up, I think it's 50 uh, people that the city council is supporting. So what we need to do is break down the barriers, change the entire funding mechanism, and 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 get a free flow. And we're, what we've done in this legislature now is, is we've created four pilot projects that are driving tech ed down, or applied education, which is how you should talk about it, down into grade seven. And we're saying to your K through 12 schools, come up with something. There was a reason why woodshop was brilliant in schools back in the day, as was music. We we have different skill sets we need, and we need to do that. So, I, so the, the table is laid. We had a workforce development bill we passed that next, uh, this first session, we're getting a report on adult education, which people think of as adult basic ed, getting your GED, but that can also be workforce development. We are, we are not utilizing our facilities to train up working people. Everyone knows that people, we've got a low unemployment rate and we've got people who are working in two and three jobs because the jobs aren't paying them enough. We could take some of those people and train them in adult workforce education. So if we do that the first year in commerce, the Commerce Committee, because we took that funding out of the education fund into the general fund, so commerce gets to do that. If commerce and education can join together in the second half of the biennium, because now the Commerce Committee has had a fairly good uh, training in this, reaching out to the Education Committee, we could form some sort of a special committee, however they form it, where we could really redesign the funding model, the training models, everything that we've got so that it is a freer flow from I would say an artist and, a, and a, a pipe fitter both want to learn how to weld. Well, it sounds like... It, and we can do it in two years, so that's why I'm running for re-election. Okay. It sounds like what we're lacking in the educational system is a well-rounded education where people are learning with their head and their hands. Completely. Right? And so, you know, music is going to help you be better in math and... Right. Woodwork is going to be better, help you be better at pretty much anything, including the exercise of your will to stick to whatever job you're going to do. And education should give every student a pathway to a middle class income earning potential. And I was talking to a young man, he wants to be a physical therapist, that's a PhD program now. And in, I said to him, well, why don't you get a personal care attendant certification while you're a junior? And he said, why would I do that? And I said, because that would allow you to work in a nursing home where they do rehab. So you'd be on the ground doing that. That's why connecting work to students, the K through 12 students and the tech students, we're not, kids don't do summer jobs anymore. Mm. So they don't have any of those job skills. Yes. We, we need as, a, as, a, as an educational facility is to bring well-rounded, we need bring our, our students in so they really have ladders, that same kid who could get a personal care attendancy. So he'll get killer recommendations for college. Now, let's talk to, about the kid who really cares about people, really hates school, for whatever reason, just wants to get out, get on their own, and have their own apartment. And they care about people. That same kid in a sophomore year could get a personal care attendant. That would be the summer after school job. 
if you do that and, and are care about it, the Visiting Nurse Association will pay full bore all the way up to BS in nursing. So there are all of these ladders that we need to connect from the workforce and the workforce needs to our students. So that's what keeps kids home. That's what builds a community. And how do you think that this ties into one of the questions we have here about Vermont's um, sustainable economy for Vermont? I think there's probably a That's straight exactly line. That's exactly right. Right? It's right. We are, we, someone said I was at a, actually I was on at the uh, Tech Alliance. They have, they have a wonderful boat cruise, which I always volunteer to go on. But also you meet interesting people with great brains. And one guy said, yes, you've got to stop paying for student tourism in the state of Vermont. What's that mean? Everyone comes and goes to school and loves it and leaves. Mm. That's not a sustainable model. Mm -hmm. And, and we, we, we are, uh, well, one of the really cool models we've got now is we now put in full, full scholarships for the National Guard, one to make us more competitive. My other day job is I'm state chair of the ESGR, which is Employer Support for the Guard and Reserve, which is a Department of Defense grouping in every state that is a liaison between Guard and Reserve members and their civilian careers. Because when we got rid of the draft, we hung everyone out to dry. We said, oh great, we'll save millions of dollars in just-in-time inventory for defense. And actually it does work. But at any given moment, 54% of our de deployed troops are Guard and Reserve people. Now let's figure out how, well, how that impacts the small employer in Vermont. So instead of being honest and actually taking a lot of those billions of savings in the, in the Department of Defense and putting it towards supporting Guard and Reserve members in their civilian careers because they're going to go off on drills and they're going to get deployed and all of that and that has an impact. Instead of doing that to support them, they basically do nothing and buy more boy, you know, toys for boys, which is really probably the worst thing I should say, but I don't care. So that's the piece. So when I do what I do there is I'm working with employers to bridge and get our particularly our mountain troops, which are infantry, our air, the airborne, are, are, they've got all STEM jobs, but the infantry don't. So I'm, we've got a lot of people like who are landscapers and things. And if they get deployed, they lose their business. So what we're trying to do is build up a better bridge for guard members and their civilian jobs. So let me ask you about um, the climate economy and how Vermont can take advantage of the opportunity that climate change presents. We need to do a carbon tax. We need to understand that. If we can do it regionally, we should but we absolutely have to do that. We need to just work as diligently and as conscientiously as we can. The other thing we need to do is clean our water, it, not just because it's for tourism, it would not just because we want clean water and it's good for tourism. That estimated $20 million a year is economic development. Those are construction jobs. That's money we're investing in building Vermont. That's where the sustainability comes in. Got to, we've got to start thinking about that. We're going to clean up our waters, then we invest in, and, and we train Burlington, Vermonters for those jobs. So where is the money going to come from to clean up the lake, to clean up the waterways in general? Honestly, I like I liked the treasurer's original plan. 
which was the plot. It was ba it was based. You know, there was a te there was a surcharge on every on every plot. Um, we're going to have to figure it out. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen with the federal government, but we need to think of it not as a tax that disappears. We need we need to quantify that as economic development for construction in our in our state. I, I think that actually Paul Ralston was talking about this down in the Addison, saying, well, we should invest in, um, the state should pay for the, the buffers on the edges of the river. And that's, I think we should, I think we should look at that and say, to do that, to make those riparian buffers, I think this phrase, that takes workers, people have to do it, those are Vermont jobs. And those can be very skilled Vermont jobs. So I want to re I want to rephrase a lot of those. The sustainability economy is looking at reinvesting in ourselves. If we have, if we are putting guard members four-year scholarships in Vermont schools, then why don't we make sure that we have really good jobs for them when they come back when they're when they're here, so they stay here. So um, being in the district that you represent, six two. It's probably one of the more diverse districts in the state, would be my guess, in it's terms of population, wonderful. right? It is. And so what do you see as the challenges to um, institutional racism? I mean, how can we as a state dismantle that systemic racism that is contained in how we do business? I remember in the legislature when we started talking about driving while black, and this is before we had the wonderful study from UVM. And people were standing up and saying, no, 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 this can't be true, this can't be true. And to have objective, fact-based discussions helps a tremendous amount. One of the first things I ever did in the legislature was create, it was actually it's the first in the nation bill, we, the National Guard now reports every year on sexual harassment, sexual assault, and discrimination in the Guard, instances that were complained. And now we added another stream, which is women being uh, recruited, how many have re-upped, and, and, and how are they being, how are you um, elevating them in the force? Because the only way you're really going to take care of that situation is to get a better 50-50 mix, gender-wise. Well, that's about quantify, quantify, quantify. And part of the thing we have to do is look at the numbers. It's, we are incarcerating, I believe, the highest number of black young men in the country. In Vermont? We, yes. And if not, if we're not the highest, we're damn close. And we're sending them to Mississippi to a for-profit prison in a state that flies a flag that has the Confederate battle flag in it. I was a civil rights worker for SNCC in Mississippi for a year. I know that state and I visit that state. It hasn't changed. I don't, I worry about our population. So we just have to look at it, recognize it, and embrace it. England in the 40s went through this, a similar situation. It was an island population, they're all white. All of a sudden the empire came home, and that's when the Teddy Boys were there and all of that. And eventually, it's still not fabulous, but eventually, Communities got absorbed, culture got absorbed, so tiki masala is probably, chicken masala is probably everyone's favorite Friday night dish in London. So we have to do the same thing. And, and the state has a challenge because 
we have Burlington with our fabulous diversity. And then we have maybe, I don't know, uh, Springfield. So it's, it's bringing it along. I keep saying things like, um, whenever I look at anything that, that travel and tourism puts out any brochures, it got to be a joke in my committee because Bill Botso, my chair, who was wonderful, would give me whatever brochure and I would flip through it and I'd start counting the black or brown faces I'd see. And if we're selling Vermont, sell a multicultural Vermont. But what if we're not really hospitable to a multicultural Vermont? We need to make people aware. And that's how you do it. You have multicultural brochures advertising your state. You recognize institutional racism with, with driver stops. You look at discipline problems in schools. You start, you, you start cold, just objectively looking at facts. I think most people um, are well-meaning. Um, I think people are unaware. If you were, if you were part of a, if you unaware of, if you look like me, you wander blissfully through the world, and you don't. There's no moment because I'm in the majority all the time. It's only when you're in the minority that you get a different take. And so, it's conversation, it's talking, it's making, but it's also hard-nosed looking at traffic stops, looking at incarceration figures, looking at who chooses to prosecute, looking at housing, looking at economic diversity, look at who are we, we, who are we recruiting. So let me ask you about the economics of our educational system and how we maintain a quality of education with a declining um, population of school-age students. Oh, dear God. <laughs> well. You know, the standard, the standard statement is, if you got off the property, it doesn't make sense for property owners to function, to, to pay for education. Yes, we have, by definition, we get a benefit because, you know, we, it may keeps my property, it keeps my housing value up. But that's really not the way to, to fund things. If you did it on economic, if you did it on income, we all know it would work better. That's just, so you spread the, you spread that. Um, are there states where education is financed based on income? Dear God, I don't know. Did I ever say that burning bamboo shoots under my fingernails is more preferable than being on the education committee? <laughs> Honestly, I, that, I have so much respect for the people on the education committee. That is a very arcane and tough world. I do blockchain and commerce, my other deep weeds world, but that I, I willingly I, you know, Janet Ansel has an encyclopedic knowledge of taxes and how they affect people. And, and she's ways and means. Yes. Right. And we have the Education Committee and Dave Sharp is retired and, and, and everyone on that committee is, is stellar. So it's a tough place. I just, you know, I, I know that, I know, I'm a retired stockbroker. I know the dollars and cents. The dollars and cents are if it's on income, it works out better. But. So um, agriculture, the dairy farms in our state are really um, having a very difficult time yes. because of the way the financing of milk has been structured and for other reasons. So how important is, is agriculture in, in 
general, dairy farming in particular, how important does it remain for our state and what could we do to support it? Well, I had a wonderful experience actually with a constituent. Um, our farm to plate and our um, what we're doing in agriculture is pretty impressive. And it's about diversity. It's about getting getting our ag, our, our particular dairy um, farmers to 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 find more profitable sidelines and to diversify their product in order to survive. Um, that being said, I I have a constituent who makes an amazing dip that is now in Hannaford's, and she has an opportunity to go from seventy Hannaford's to a thousand, and also Costco is talking to her. So she needs, she's a startup, and she needs to ramp up. So I called Agri Department of Agriculture to see you know, what they've got going, and they've got a specialist in there who knows every dairy license in the state, absolutely on point, right there, knows how to scale people up. Immediately said there are, there are various distributors of refrigerated trucks, that was one of her challenges. And so they're doing an excellent job on that. Um, it's, it's tough, you know, if, if you go organic, you get out of the dairy compact. Um, Which means you can charge, you yes. have more latitude about what you you're charge more, for your milk. You, yes, you have, you're out of the compact, you've, you're no longer priced. Um, there's, there's a cost involved in that, and, and there's a time lag. Um, it's a challenge, and, it's, and, it is, and the backbone of a vast number of our dairy farms are undocumented folks. So what's your view on, um, this isn't a question, but just you know the ICE strategy and its impact on the state, just in oh. li light of what you've just said. Well, we had, it was funny, the, the Defender General came to the judiciary last year and said, look, we've got the money and we're doing it anyway. We're defending undocumented people at local in the local level, and then they go to immigration court down in, in Boston. And, you know, they assured judicial, they thought it'd be good to come to the floor, no problem. The, it was, it was like the poison from the national world was coming into our, some of the things that people said about those people. In were, the legislative yes, arena? Yeah. It passed, and so our defender generals are doing it. But what they're talking about, we're not, they were talking about our undocumented people who are keeping the backbone of our state and our dairy farms afloat. But this poisonous, venomous thought process is even coming to Vermont. And granted, it's in small doses, and I am wildly proud of our legislature. I think we really, we pride ourselves in being as, like especially in commerce, you're, you really are nonpartisan. Um, but we pride ourselves in, in, in collegiality and respect, so that was pretty awful. So we're just about to wrap up. Do you have any closing comments? Um, I want everyone to vote. We are on lookout for Front Porch Forum. We are going to be on Front Porch Forum telling District 6-1, which is the far new north end, and District 6-2, who's, who's coming out to vote more. We're going to give you statistics. We're going to tell you how to do early voting. The one thing you can tell the world is join us in this onslaught of voting. Vote your conscience. Vote for who you want. But just get out and vote. This is the saving grace to democracy. Wonderful. Thank you, Gino Sullivan. Gino Sullivan is running unopposed for the District 6-2 in Burlington that covers the Old North End, part of the Old North End, and part of the New North End. And we hope that you will stay tuned here for continuing coverage of Channel 17, Town Meeting Television, General Election, 
2018. We'll be back.